Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Football League show. Parker pumped as Bournemouth look so good at Dean Forecourt. Ben Brereton Diesel fills up as Cardiff Tank, and Bristol Rovers put their foot on the gas as the rest of the country looks on enviously. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Uh, there's a fuel crisis, you see, that's the joke. Uh, here we are again, then, folks. Whether you're a first time listener or a TFLS lifer, you're most welcome into our house of EFL. I'm Matt Davis Adams. Sam Parkin is with me. Uh, good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, Sam. Uh, Adrian Clark's here too. I hear it's your birthday tomorrow, Clarky, but you got your presents early this weekend, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Yeah, no, it was great. What, what a what a North London derby. So yeah, about time Arsenal delivered a, a big performance. And yeah, it was yeah, well-timed with my birthday ahead. But yeah, I'm at that age where I don't really like to talk about it. 21 again, who could believe it? And not me. Uh, also on board today, the Sunderland goalkeeper, coach and broadcaster, the one and only David Priest. Welcome back, David. Thanks for still having me on. <laughs> More than welcome. Uh, stick around till the end of the pod, listener. David will be hosting an EFL quiz called The Priest is Right. Uh, first, though, we championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, having briefly been deposed by West Brom on Friday, it's Bournemouth who lead the way. The Baggies, like Bournemouth, victorious, but Fulham could only draw at Bristol City. Elsewhere, Blade Shear Rams after sharp pen. Cover in position three after scoring three against Peterborough on Friday. Blackpool have won three of four to move up six places. And here's old Grumpy Guts Neil Warnock saying, We have the worst referees in the 42 years I've been going. Uh, Neil making us all feel young. Uh, before we talk football, wonder what you made of those comments from Warnock about refereeing. What do you think, Clark? Is has he got a point? And are we getting close to the stage where we get the debate about whether we should have VAR in the Championship as well? I, the way that VAR is working in the Premier League this season is much much better, and I would personally welcome it in the Championship if they can afford to go down that route. <laughs> I do agree with Neil Warnock. I think the standard of officiating this season has been pretty abysmal. 
a lot of the red cards across the last two weekends have been shocking. So many soft dismissals that if you were to go and have a second look on a monitor, for example, that I, I'm sure that they would have retracted. But but obviously these these players are, are not getting away with it. There are no second chances. And I haven't been there myself. You often get fined for, for being sent off. And you can lose quite a lot of money through, through that, through missing games. And, and for me... They've been too easy to to bring out red cards this season, uh, the, the officials. So yeah, no, I I know that Neil Warnock's like a broken record moaning about refs, but but I think he's got a point. I really do. Sam, I noticed that Jared Gillick got promoted from the EFL to the Premier League this weekend. He did the the Watford v Newcastle game, and he got absolutely battered by supporters of both sides and the managers. Does that show that there is a bit of a gap in, in the quality between Premier League refs and the, and the football league? And there may be, I'm not, not sure what kind of in-house training they get, you know, further down the, the ladder in comparison to what the top level referees get at, at St. George's Park and et cetera. I'm sure more goes into that. Um, I, I don't know. I do agree with Clarkie that the uh, VAR is working considerably better in the Premier League, but I'd be a hypocrite if I started wanting it um, further down the, the leagues. I don't. Really, I don't. It's not that I don't see the necessity for it. I just don't want it. To be honest, I'm a bit of an old romantic like that, and I didn't want it in the first place. Of course, goal line technology. I don't know if maybe there's a there's an argument to bang the drum, getting ex players back involved. I know that there was a, a move towards that a few years ago, and, and quite a lot of ex players took took them up on that offer. But maybe that's not come to to fruition. But no, I'd, I don't like seeing them getting lambasted. There's there's bad decisions, but the old cliche, I'd like to think it evens itself out. What have you made, David, of the standard in, in League One officials-wise this season? Obviously, your gaffer was not particularly impressed with Neil Hare at Fleetwood a couple of weeks back. Yeah, it's a difficult position for us to be in, really. It's just because it's it's a difficult position for them to be in as well. It's a difficult job, and I think... He, he, I've I've refereed enough uh, enough times in training sessions to know how tough it is. You know, we had eleven Saturday during the national break last uh, with the last one. We had intern eleven v eleven. Now I was refereeing. I think two of the lads went home. You know, before I could even speak them afterwards because of the enough about decisions I've given. You know, and uh, I mean that's the truth. And it, it is. It, it's. Especially now when we bring, you know, they're bringing new rules in, so they can, you know, they're trying to let the game flow a little bit. And to be honest with you, it's probably led to more frustration because it's, you know, there's a lot of free kicks that's being that are being given that ordinarily would be given, you know, before the rule came in. But also then, maybe it's later in the game, they're not given, they are given those decisions, and it depends on the narrative of the game and how the game's flown and. And how that um, you know whether they are getting the decisions right, so it's you know a lot of the time we're bringing these new rules in. They're thinking that we're trying to help the flow of the game and, and trialing them, and, and they're not quite working. And I think it's it is the same this season with that uh, with this rule about trying to let the game flow. You know, it's yeah, the game is becoming more physical because of that, and. We're going, you know. We, I think we've been used to the game not being physical before. We, we, we're getting used to the game, you know, physicality coming out of the game, and then once you start letting things, a few things go, then it changes, you know, the, the way that people accept those decisions. Can I just ask, would it potentially impact on managers selecting 
different players and, and, and rethinking their, their strategy if they were to believe that, that everything was a bit more lenient, i.e. would you be more inclined potentially to, to bring in that, that midfield enforcer or a centre-half that was more aggressive than, than a teammate? No, I, I mean, just from my perspective, I, I wouldn't say that would happen. I don't think it's changing that much that it's, you know, there's that much physicality come back in the game. But like I said, that you know, if, if you're changing these decisions from one week to the next or from one year to the next and, you know, people get used to one thing, now you've got something else and you're not getting those decisions, it's just going to lead to more frustration. And I think it's worse for the, it makes it worse for the, the fourth officials as well because at the end of the day, they're the ones who get it in the neck most of the time and they're the ones who've got to sort of um, placate the referees, uh, the, 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 the managers and coaches and, and try and calm them down. Yeah, it's got to be up with the hardest jobs in the game. That uh, Whilst we're talking referees, listener, if you're an Athletic subscriber, I'd urge you to have a read of Danny Taylor's interview with Mark Clattenburg. Uh, he doesn't mince words. Go to theathletic.com slash league show for a third offer subscription if you haven't done so already. Uh, let's start our look back at the residence formerly known as Dean Court, where Bournemouth remain the pace setters in Tier 2 after they beat Luton by two goals to one. Uh, David, I thought this was a difficult second half for Bournemouth. They played some great stuff in the first, but but four wins on the spin. You can't really argue with what Scott Parker's done in his in his short time there. No, he's you know whatever he's implementing, the way he's implementing it, he's uh, it's looking more like his team now, and um, you know you know keeping hold of the likes of uh, Philip Billing has been massive for, uh, for for Bournemouth and it's it's the likes of him and, and Solanke as well. They're just adding that little bit of quality that is probably just above the championship and um, and obviously scoring both goals, uh, they, that's what made the difference for me this weekend for them. But also, Clark, as well as the likes of Billing and Solanke, it feels like the load's being shared a bit at Bournemouth this season. So lots of people chipping in with goals and assists and that that's really important, isn't it, if you're going to sustain it over 46 games? Really healthy, yes. They've got a lot of different options. We talked at length about the young boys on the left with Zamora and, and Anthony. You've got David Brooks. And, and at the weekend in this game against Luton, Ryan Christie came to the table, didn't he, with a couple of assists. I mean, the first one was an absolute peach. Lovely little sort of chip pass. It was it was as if, you know, like a, a goal from the edge of the green or going over a bunker and landing it softly. It was It was beautifully executed. I thought, and, and yeah, I agree. I agree with David on Scott Parker. He's doing a very good job. He's a bit of an Arteta wannabe. I've got to say that. I want to put this out there. He's talked about it being a young team in development. He says um, they've got to believe in the process. We have processes in place. This is exactly what this is about. Stick to the process. Keep learning. Um, that's that's a quote from Scott Parker at the weekend. It sounds just like Mikel. Uh, and he also likes to sort of tuck his fullbacks in and have one fullback flying high. He's very, very similar, actually, in, in the style of football that, that Arsenal are producing under under Arteta. So, yeah, but it's going well. And, uh, and this was a good result in a match where they probably didn't play that well. They were outshot by Luton, weren't anywhere near the best. But, but that quality that Dave is talking about, with Billing and Solanke and others, it, that's what got them over the line. I think it, it, you know it, you've got to give a lot of credit to, to Nathan Jones for for what he's doing going back into to to, uh, to Luton, and 
uh, Adrian's right. They, they give them a, a real good shot in the first half. I mean, there's a couple of big chances. One, the the, the back pass that came off Travers that was closed down, um, and uh, and and another one that was fizzed across the six yard box early on in the game. If those two chances go in, then it's, it's, it's obviously a different game. So because of that, then Sam, are you not too concerned about Luton? I mean, with the obvious exception of Birmingham, nobody's pumping them, but they haven't won since August. They were our dark horses. No, I wouldn't be concerned about them at all. I think they're in the midst of a horrendous run of injuries. Uh, firstly, it was defensively, and now they're really struggling with um, attacking players. He, he brought in, if you remember, Onyedima, Alan Campbell, Musquay to just give them, I think, just youthful energy, just running power, um, different options in attack, and and they've not been available for him. And Adebayo misses those two brilliant chances at the the weekend, and that's the difference. That's a moment for him to to recognise that he's in the championship now. You're not going to get three, four, five chances a game like you would have got in League One. He has to take one of those chances, and then the game could have been different. It's it's the completely same game that I saw a few weeks ago against QPR. The opposition against Bournemouth. The opposition start really well, should score. Bournemouth get momentum and confidence from the opening goal, have a brilliant period and then really rest on their laurels in the second half while the uh, the opposition come on strong. And we've seen it so many times with Scott Parker. It's um, a reoccurring theme. He's brilliant at shutting down matches normally, getting over the line, introducing the third centre-half at some point. Chris Meppham has become his kind of Dennis Adoy since he's gone into to Bournemouth. And that's what happened at the weekend. So no concerns at all about Luton, just need to be more clinical in front of goal. Yeah, and I've got a stat that sort of backs it up really, Sam. In terms of open play, expected goals, which I always think is a good good gauge of a team's attacking credentials, Fulham are the only team with a higher XG than Luton Town. 13.8 expected goals. They've only scored 10. So effectively, they should have four more goals from open play than, than they've had already. And I can think of three or four off the top of my head that, that, that they've missed that are, that are guilt edge. So... Yeah, nothing to worry about. If if they were bottom of that particular metric, that would be the time to worry. Your mate wasn't uh, slow to point that out after the game either, Clarkey. Although I think he said third best XG, Nathan Jones. So <laughs> yeah, he's done him a favour there, right, mate. Hasn't he? I, can I just ask about his attire? It's tight, isn't it? It's seriously tight. For a man in his late 40s, I know he's, I know he's lean. He, he's in great nick. But it's really tight, isn't it? Yeah, and to, to pick, pick you up on an earlier point... It, Mikel Arteta and Scott Parker might have a lot in common, but Parker is miles ahead of Arteta in the uh, touchline clover stakes. I don't think anybody would uh, disagree Ooh, with that. Controversial. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, on Friday night, the Hawthorns played host to the Akronin derby between WBA and QPR. Uh, though Rangers went ahead, Albion turned it round to claim their first win in four attempts while simultaneously inflicting a third straight league loss on the R's. Uh, here's a not very serious question, David, but I thought the kick clash in this game was absolutely horrendous. Has that ever put you off as a goalie when you like, uh, is that one of my guys or is that one of the oppo? I don't know. I'm not I'm not that I remember of, but I think that um, it's probably an excuse I should have used. It's nothing something that I've really come across before. Uh, what about the goalkeepers in here? A couple of um, errors, one from Sam Johnson, one from Sonny Diang, but those two have been maybe two of the standout performers in the league so far this season. Yeah, do you know what? These are two of the keepers who could definitely play a higher a higher level in the Premier League. Really like Senny Dieng. Just love his sort of languid style. He's really athletic. 
comfortable on the ball, got a great passing range. And obviously, we, we, know, we know Sam Johnson, we know what he's about. He's a real solid goalkeeper. I think that, um, yeah, he got, got caught cold a little bit early on uh, in no man's land with a long ball in behind for Andre Gray. And yeah, it, it's something that, as a goalkeeper, you, you either do something 100% or you don't do anything at all. You never get caught in the middle. And, uh, that's, and he made it an easy finish for Andre Gray. And obviously, Senny. Taking in a pretty rel- uh, relatively simple um, strike from Carl and Grant down low down to his right, and he just never gets forward towards the ball. And, and once your body's angling sort of slightly backwards, any sort of um, flaw in your technique and it comes away from you, it just means it's likely to go into the net or it, it can go in the net, and that's exactly what happened with him. Well, we'll get Sam's take on QPR shortly, but West Brom-wise, Clarky, this strikes me as exactly the kind of game that a team that you're going to get promoted win. You know, come from behind, win it late on, even if they're not at their best. Well, they're making a habit of it. They've gone behind 1-0 three times now and, and not lost any of those games. So there's a little bit of character there. I think that their quality is getting them out of jail at times. I mean, their squad is absolutely stacked with talent. But even though this wasn't a convincing performance... I actually think it could be a real breakthrough result for them because we we saw signs of a plan B. Other teams have definitely changed their tactics to to deal with their their pressing, to deal with their sort of direct approach and the, the set pieces. Teams are working on it incessantly to 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 limit the threat. They need to play more football. They need to get the ball on the deck and play it through the lines and use some of the quality players that they've got and. And that is what we saw in the game. And I think that was perfectly encapsulated with the, the winning goal, which was beautiful to watch. It was a lovely move. And and if they can just get that blend out of that free-flowing stuff and the tough stuff, the bullying, the pressure football, the, the direct play, then, then you've got a real team. Um, and yeah, I think they'll get there. What about QPR then, Sam? Are they just reverting back to the mean is this something more concerning or, or just is it just a little blip I mean they've got home games against Birmingham and Preston next which would, would appear to give them a decent chance of getting back on the form horse um, I think it's a blip I think they should have got something at Bournemouth and they, they should have beaten Bristol City in the last home game here I wouldn't normally inflict a well she was in another room but um, I wouldn't normally put a whole game on in its entirety and I did on Friday night I watched this and um, I was really disappointed in QPR. I felt that having got the early goal, an opportunity to continue playing on the front foot. And I felt that those goals were inevitable. At no stage did I think QPR were going to win that game, to, to be honest. I've, I felt defensively they were hanging in. I thought the left-hand side was a problem all evening. I agree with Clarkie. I thought West Brom played some really incisive football you know, before the break, before the goals, down the right through Furlong. And I thought Jimmy Dunn really struggled, the left-sided centre-half, and Barbe looked like a fish out of water, even though, you know, he's, he's normally comfortable left-hand side, left-hand side of a back three. He was playing as the wing-back. So I was disappointed with QPR on the break, final ball, letting them down. Love Willock, love Chair, but I didn't think those two had their best games and Chair's error led to the second goal and obviously um, the goalkeeper error caused the equaliser. So... Yeah, I just felt it was an opportunity to build on that really fast start and they didn't do that. So we'll have to see how they bounce back. But yeah, I still am, I still am confident that they can make a dash for those playoffs, but it's not going to be any better than that. 
Uh, the last championship game we'll have a look at went down at Ewood Park. It was a day to remember for the magnificently bearded Stokey via Chile Ben Brereton Diaz, who notched a first career hat trick as Blackburn crushed Cardiff 5 1. Uh, Clarky, do you remember when I said that Rovers should cash in on Brereton Diaz? Uh, that, that was pretty foolish, wasn't it? <laughs> He's on fire, isn't he? Even he just looks he looks South American now. <laughs> isn't it weird? What 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 a name change can do for you. He just looks Chilean and he just didn't before. So yeah, sensational volley, wasn't it? On the run. Great cross from from Dolan on the right and he and he spanked that in just beautifully. Um see there, they've got a player that's in inspirational form, no doubt about it. Tony Mowbray, I think, deserves credit. He's, he's, he's lost good players over the summer. It's a pretty young squad, but they're, they're punching, in my opinion. They're doing better than than anticipated. Um, what I will say, though, is that Cardiff, Cardiff had a shocker in this game. That Some of their defending was horrific for the first goal. No pressure on the ball, yet they one straight ball over the top does them. Yeah, you could go through most of the goals and, and just pick it apart. Mick McCarthy, I mean, I wouldn't want to be on that training ground, Cardiff, this week. He would have been battery. I'm sure he'd have been working them really hard. Uh, and some of those ears would have been burning in the dressing room. Because that, yeah, that was that was some of the worst defending I've seen all season. I'm just going to get this in early because last year I said that Paul Mullin was going to maybe get 10 goals after he'd scored three or four in the early weeks and he got 30 to make me look like a complete... Wally, uh, <laughs> I've gone in early on Quest and said that Brereton was going to get 20 after the first game of the season, which I'm absolutely thrilled about because he's up to seven <laughs> now and he's looking good. Sam, do you have Blackburn down as one of those teams around about QPR then? Only one defeat in 11. They're currently six. Can they be fighting for a playoff place come the, the late stages of the season? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. They're on a great run, aren't they? I think they've just lost the the one game so far this season. Um, no, I, I don't know. I think QPR probably have been building something under Warburton and, and Tony Mowbray, I think for his standards, had a disappointing year last year. I think they're exceeding expectations. Um, he's got that front line looking really exciting when you, you, you consider... I think where what Brereton's produced previously, Gallagher, and it looks to be an inspired decision at the moment, playing Dolan down the down the middle, which I think a lot of people would have questioned. Uh, questioned. So it's a good period for them. Defensively, they definitely improved. The two centre-halves look to have a, a good relationship. But no, I think they, they probably not have enough in, in reserve to get in the playoff shake-up. But, you know, I could be wrong. What about Cardiff, David? Five defeats in six in all comps, including their their last three in the championship. What can they do to to arrest this slide? They can defend a lot better. <laughs> That's what they can do. I think that um, looking at it from a goalkeeper's perspective, I was looking at Dylan Phillips, and certainly, you know, the first four goals, he's just being left exposed. It's it's just one of those afternoons where it's you know. You feel like everyone's let you down. That's how we'd be feeling, because he just had no cover at all. He's had um, he's had no help from his defenders, and then in the end, you know, he's probably letting the frustrations get the better of him, thinking that I've got to do something about this. And when he does do something, he gives a penalty away. So it's um, it's was a tough afternoon for for him, and it's, like everyone keeps saying, and I know that Ollie was saying on the the AFL show about um, Mick McCarthy sides don't defend like this. And he and he's perfectly right, and he'll um, you know 
he's got some sorting out to do, but if somebody can sort out uh, a side's defence, it'll be Mick McCarthy. Yeah, be lots of big Mick energy on that training ground this week, I feel sure. Uh, right, PSG faced Manchester City on Tuesday, but at the same time, Cambridge are taking on Gillingham. With that in mind, let's build a midweek EFL Acker. Uh, Adrian, you can give us your pick from the Championship, please. Yes, um, not easy actually to to pick out. Uh, well, actually, it's never easy for us, is it? Let's be <laughs> honest with these Ackers. We're having an absolute shocker. It's not been good this season, but look, Barnsley are not firing on all the cylinders. They're not the attacking force or threat that they were last season. And uh, and Forest, we know we know how bad they've been, but they've got a new manager now. So, who who I'm sure will build from the back. So yeah, I'm expecting a low scoring game at Oakwell Barnsley against Nottingham Forest. Under two and a half goals, please. Even in the betting spot of the show, there's got to be a little dig at Forest. It's just so unnecessary. Um, <laughs> Abby, what are the odds on that, please? Uh, under 2.5 goals is four to seven. Barnsley are the favourites in this one, seven to five. Uh, Forest coming in at nine to four, but uh, slightly ahead of Forest, it's the draw, 15 to eight. All right. Well, we're two unbeaten, so we're building for something. Uh, Abby, you've got a championship pick for us as well. Yes, unlike Clarkie, I don't like to you know think too hard on my uh, betting picks. I'm just going with my gut. West Brom to beat Cardiff because, as we've just mentioned, Cardiff aren't in a good place. Uh, so that is 11 to 10, the double coming in at 2 to 1. 11 to 10, West Brom to beat Cardiff. Yeah. Crikey. Abby, nice. you should have said there, they're not in a good moment. I'm oh, sorry, they're not the, in a good moment. That is the thing that coaches have to say these days, as, as Sam pointed out uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> yes. Right, League One next. So, Mr. Biasa, what's troubling you? Well, Doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week, I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power. Pre-match bet builder bets only. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min four plus legs. Min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Become aware.org. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One headlines. Top four pull away from the rest. They all won. No one else in the top half did. Wigan lead the way on goal difference after they beat Cheltenham. Sunderland are second after a narrow win against Bolton. Uh, There's another win for MK. 1-0 against Wickham. They're only a point behind the top two. Charlton, Ipswich and Doncaster all in the bottom three after nine rounds of games. Uh, David, as you're here, you better give us an assessment of the win for your boys against Bolton. Looked like a close contest from the highlights. Is that about right? Yeah, it was. It was, um, I think up to now, has probably been the, the, the toughest game we've had. You know, everyone came in the dressing room after, afterwards and it was, rather than celebration, it was like just, it was a, a little bit relief or a little bit sort of annoying that we we had to work hard for the for the win, really hard. Uh, you could see that in the numbers as well. And um, and, and all credit to, to T and Everett, he's got them, he's got Bolton playing really well, really good brand of football. Um and they created a few opportunities of their own, so it was, um, yeah, it's probably the most satisfying win of the of the season so far as well. You got to be thrilled with how it's gone thus far. Only one defeat all season. Yeah, and and, and probably the the game that we lost at Burton was probably the one where we've we we've played at uh, at our best. So that's um, it. It does make that. 
as, as, as good as the run's been so far uh, this season, it does make that defeat a little bit more frustrating. But um, yeah, I know I'll, you know I'll, I'll, I'll say what I'm supposed to say that we take each game as it comes, <laughs> and uh, the next game is the most important one. Of course, it is. But it's um, yeah, it, it's a good start. But we all know that's that's all it is at the moment. Yellow card, pre-seat, no doubt about it. Um, <laughs> can't be saying that, come on. Um, but yeah, I expect you to. Look, I don't expect you to, to say anything negative here, but I'm just curious to know what it's like working with Lee Johnson. Obviously, he comes, I know him a little bit, and you know he's a nice lad, very enthusiastic, confident. But he's also, he's got some quite unusual methods, you know, looking for mar- for margins here and there with with different methods. What, yeah, what's it like working with Lee? Uh, do you know what? It's, it's been great, and especially you know you, you talk about uh, you know managers trying to do things differently and uh, trying to get that extra edge, and Lee's really progressive like that. You know, I think that when you when I, especially when I go into a club and uh, the managers I've worked with in the past, you know, you, you want to, you, or you like to think that you you're going to learn something from them. Uh, whatever that might be, whether it be leadership, whether it be organisation skills, whether it's their philosophy of football, whatever, and um, and it's no different here coming in and working with Lee because it's you certainly um, you know shown now uh, it's uh, in the results that we've we've certainly had this season that you know that's the way that he does things you know is geared towards. Um, a successful environment and it's not just uh, you know it's a it's a real holistic thing uh, with Lee as well you know it's not just about that he's strong on, on one thing it's um you know uh, he's obviously got his own philosophy he's got his methods of way he's doing things and and also the, the way that he sees himself as a as a manager and a, and a leader of a football club and I think that um all that tied at one you know it's it's something I've been excited from the moment that um you know I start the interview process you know coming in and, and wanting to work with somebody one that's uh, luckily for me that aligns with the way that I'd like to play football as well but also somebody who I think I'll learn a lot from uh, you know for, for such still for someone who's still a young manager he's got a lot of experience and obviously he's got the you know he's uh, he's he saw his dad the way that he's worked for a long time and obviously he must have learned a hell of a lot from from his dad and um yeah like i said i, I can't really speak highly enough of him and uh, hopefully it's um you know it's a it's a long-term relationship Reece, i'm gonna ask you about a, a couple of the, the the individuals that are doing really well right now um the goalkeeper hoffman um i can't think of the time scale off the top of my head but were you involved in the recruitment of him and just how well is he doing right now and the other one was Ross Stewart I suppose big shoes to fill having lost Charlie White last year and I've been you know I've not seen loads of him but he, he looks to be the complete centre forward yeah uh, both um, both players you mentioned now I'll, I'll start with uh, with Torben he's somebody that um, as soon as I came in the, the club were were already looking at the the recruitment process was uh, was already well underway Luckily for me, I was very familiar with him. You know, I've looked at younger goalkeepers at Bayern Munich, uh, like to Lucas Schnell, at, uh, to bring in the clubs I've been in the past, and and even though it, it was still a, a difficult decision to to bring uh, to to bring Torben in, simply because it's you know we have uh, Anthony Patterson who's at the club already. We've got Lee Burge, who's who's for me has has been um, has, has been a 
great term for the club so far. I think he's been he's, he's come under a bit of criticism last year, and I think it was a lot of it was unjustified. Uh, and like I said, we, we've got Anthony Patterson, who's come, he's been at the club since he was ten, who's got his chance and did really well. And then you know you, you wonder whether you bring if you're bringing somebody in uh, on top of that that it changes the dynamic and you don't know how people are going to react. I have to be honest with you, you know all three keepers have been brilliant to work with so far, and you know of course you know like Lee and Anthony are going to be disappointed because it's more competition for them. But they've both they've both risen to the challenge, and, and Tobin's come in, and uh, along with Leon De Jack, who came from Bayern Munich as well, they've integrated the squad seamlessly. Yeah, and Ross Stewart, you know, I don't really want to speak too highly of him, you know, because it's you don't want to attract too much attention. To him, but he's doing that, you know, his performances are doing that all on their own. Um, he's uh, you can call him whatever you want, Loch Ness Lewandowski or, or whatever it was. He <laughs> gets called, but he's um, he, he's just got everything, you know. He, he's mobile, he's quick, holds the ball in well. He, his link-up play is great and. His heading ability really is, um, you know, it's better than most people passing with their feet. To be honest with you, and he's uh, and he started the season really confidently. So, yeah, it's um, it's looking very promising for both end players as well. Uh, right then, no petrol at pumps up and down the land, but plenty of coal to Stockton the fires for Morecambe. Um, that's me alluding to the fact that Cole Stockton scored twice in Morecambe's three-three thriller. Uh, with Accrington, the game that had nearly everything, six goals and a red card. But Sam, you didn't think the red should have been one. It goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the show. No, I, I didn't think it was a red card. Um, I'm still not entirely too sure what I saw, to be honest. It was. It looked like maybe the Accrington player went over the top of the, the ball and then there was a bit of a lunge, but it, it was caused by one of those poor touches. And I think he just lost his... his, his he lost actually his, um, he, not his footing, but I just felt he, he lost his bearings just momentarily, I, I felt, because of the, the, the poor touch and maybe the bounce. So, no, I didn't think it was a red card at all. And obviously that just completely, you know, transformed the game and made it a completely uh, different entity because it was attack v defence. Morecambe, we know, are quite comfortable, you know, in their shape and, and sitting in and, it was very backs to the wall. Atkinson dominated uh, the football, but we know that um, Morecambe have got, well, in Phillips, they've got a very good midfield player who Atkinson knew all about. He ran the show, I felt, scored a brilliant goal. And, and Cole Stockton, obviously, is just at the uh, the absolute top of his game right now. So he, he struck another couple of brilliant goals. But I felt it was important to um, compliment Stephen Robinson because he did bring on a... Obviously, a midfielder for an attacker initially, which you're going to do when you go down to 10. But then in the second half, he made really two proactive changes and that's what got them the point. So I thought it was it was only right that he got credit for those substitutions. Yeah, really good result for Morecambe, Adrian. And though they've lost four times this season, they've never been beaten by more than a goal. And, and, and we know by now that they're going to be competitive and, and, and not just also Rams in this division. It's fantastic. It really is. I, I didn't expect them to be this competitive. See, new manager, new squad. Almost all of the players uh, were summer arrivals. So, yeah, uh, you could you could have been you could have cut them some slack really and expected them to to start slowly and improve. But no, I think they've they've defied expectations. Excellent from Morecambe. This just looked a really frantic game, didn't it? It was littered with mistakes. I mean, there was. A couple of really bad ones. I I don't like to sort of dig players out. I'm not digging them out, but I'm just sort of highlighting that 
what what 15 seconds can change the game for for a player and Liam Gibson for for Morecambe he sliced the ball didn't he horribly into his own box then he commits a foul for the penalty trying to make up for it he gets yellow carded and then they scored a goal and that it all comes from that one sliced clearance and then of course later on in the game um I think it was Sam Nolan did this crazy clearance tackle that went straight to straight to Stockton so yeah it was just one of those games where where weird things happened Clark you did, did, did you talk about Gibson there did you think it was a penalty though I thought it was really harsh on him yeah it, yeah I, I agree yeah he, well he's trying to recover his position isn't he and I suppose he's done for obstruction but but you could argue what could he do there the guy cuts across his path there's a little bit of a bump but yeah it look we all know and I said it at the top of the show Referees are very eager to to give penalties to to dish out cards. It seems this season. Tell you what, if there's any of them listening to this pod, they'll be crying into their devices by this point. Um, in terms of Stanley, David, this is, this is two points dropped. Obviously, they were they had played against ten men for a long time. They were ahead with nine minutes to go. Uh, your team beat them earlier this month. What what have you made of them so far this season? Really interesting side. Yeah, I, th- I thought that. Um, yeah, the way they played was literally it was very Bielsa-like, very sort of man for man all over the pitch, and they make it very difficult for you. Um, you know, we talked about Torben Hoffman. That was Torben's first game in English football, and at first team level at 22 years old. So, and it was always going to be a difficult game for him, maybe just to get it out the way, you know, and. Um, and, and they made it very, very difficult for him. You know, lots of uh, lots of crosses in the box, hanging balls up the, the far stick. And um, it was a, for him and for an experience, it was a great baptism of fire for him. But like I said, they, they make it very difficult for teams because he just competes. And I think, you know, talking to John Coleman after the, after the game, you know, obviously if, if they get one or two injuries, then, you know, with the size of their squad, they, you know, you worry about them a little bit. Um, but certainly if, if they've got the strongest first 11 out there, they can compete with anybody. Just as an aside, David, for example, in that game, do you do much in-game coaching as the goalkeeping coach or is that kind of frowned upon? Or can you even make yourself heard from, from that far away? No, I mean, obviously, a stadium like the way it's been since I've come in, it's, it's, it's very difficult to make yourself heard, you know. But it's, um, it, it's more about little tweaks or maybe something that you might see in the game, you know, with, with regards to uh, distribution where sort of exit routes might open up during the game that the goalkeeper hasn't seen or uh, more to do with things like that. I think sometimes with, I think it's probably a difference between sort of coaching and sort of uh, and, and managing. If you're trying to coach in games, you're trying to change the way that people are sort of uh, doing things, you can interfere with their thought processes. So there's a lot of time, rather than being in the game, they're just thinking about what you've just told them or one, one certain part of the game. But with goalkeepers, most of the time, you know, it's um, it, it's just about them being in the game themselves, rather than having to coach them and tell them what to do. I think that um, obviously that's like, uh, the ideal scenario for myself. Like, but it, <laughs> it, it is more to do with little, like I said, little tweaks like that, or maybe something that you can give them at half time um, to do in the second half. Uh, and, and, and most of the time, it's about either potential threats that the opposition give you, or like, like I said, um, it'd be build up routines and, uh, and exit routes for when the goalkeeper's got the ball. Excellent. Uh, elsewhere in League One on Saturday, in the out-of-form teams derby, it was little surprise that no one won between Charlton and Portsmouth. They shared the points 
in a 2-2 draw. Uh, Sam Nigel Adkins got loads of stick from both sets of supporters. Did he save his skin with his subs here, do you think? that The Sean Clare Ferrata at half-time obviously made the biggest impact. Well, I think if you weren't at the game, probably yes. But I think for the people that suffered large portions of that performance, probably no. I think it probably papered over the cracks a little bit. In the, in the first half, uh, he had to change it. I don't think we'll probably see a midfield trio consisting of Arter and um, Ben Watson again because Portsmouth ran rings around them really, controlled it, looked much more cohesive, fluid. Uh, Curtis back to his best as well. Um, so it needed to change at half-time and I think Claire for one, I think Gilby was good throughout. Um, but Claire injected much needed energy in that area of the pitch and obviously coincided with him getting the equaliser. Um, so that did go for him. And of course, the, the two substitutes combined for the equaliser. The key for that for Charlton is, is clearly finding out that best 11 and, and, and sticking with it moving forward and, and working on it in the, in the training ground. And then they'll become more cohesive and, and, and more consistency will come, will follow surely. Yeah, they've got a tougher in the games coming up. Bolton, Fleetwood, Rotherham, Lincoln, Accrington and Sunderland, their next run of fixtures. Uh, Clucky, what's happened to Pompey? Started the season with three wins on the spin, haven't managed one since. No, they're, they're leaking goals, aren't they? It's um, They've changed the system, sort of back three at the moment. They've, <laughs> they have had injuries. So I think that, that <clears throat> I know that, that Danny Cowley has mentioned the balance of the side. He's lost a couple of left-sided centre-backs. So, so he's not happy about that. Um, but I've got to say that from what I saw of them in this game, that there's not that much wrong, certainly not when they've got the ball. I thought the two goals were just fantastic, like above the level, really. The, the first one started at the back, playing through the lines up to Curtis, who spanks it in the top corner. It, it was brilliant. And and the other one was lovely into Mark Quist, who's not in good form scoring goals, but a beautiful flick for the runner. So, so yeah, I, I think... Going forward, they they look great in this game. They should have won it. Um, it's it's a tough one for him what to do with Marquis because he's clearly a good you know he's making contributions, but but his goal record is bad. You know I think he's got eight in forty one games, thirty five of those were starts. So the question is, is the backup going to score more goals that the Marquis and offer just as much and at the moment I'm, I'm guessing that Danny Cowley doesn't think that's the case the League One Timo Werner is uh, nobody but me is calling him uh, let's go along <laughs> with this Aka then Abby I'd like Wigan to beat Sheffield Wednesday and both teams to score please Matt playing the uh, Flo Lloyd Hughes card of setting fire to the Acker. Uh, that comes in at 7-2. to two. Um, Just for your favourites, Wigan are the favourites 6-5, to five. Sheffield Wednesday 11-5, to five. draw 12-5, to five. that treble now at 14-1. to one. Sam, you're going to complete it for us with another League One pick? Yeah, I fancy um, Burton against Portsmouth, both teams to score no. Is that how you say it, Clarkey? It is. Yeah, yeah we can do I think that's going to be a tight game. Two of the... Um, Lowest scorers uh, currently in the division, I would say certainly Burton, I think uh, are really toiling in that regard, falling off a bit of a cliff in, in recent weeks. And um, yeah, I expect that to be really tight because I think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank will try desperately to get them back. Defensively stingy, tight affair, one nil either way. I'll do on that, Abby, please. Yeah, both teams score no is 19 to 20. And Sam's suggestion that's going to be a tight game is reflected in the odds. Portsmouth, the slight favourite, 6 to 4. 
Burton 7-4. All that means is that our Acker comes to 28-1. to Juicy. For those odds and more, head to paddypower.com. Odds are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Plenty of fun in League 2. We'll be there next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League show from The Athletic. Keep up to date with everything Totally by following us at The Totally Show on Twitter. League 2 headlines. Top 3 all drew nil-nil. Not that much fun. Uh, Oldham in good news, shocker. Uh, Will Ferry with his first ever senior goal. Very good for him. Bristol Rovers win as they put their foots on the gas. Yeah, more petrol-based punnage. Uh, whilst FGR could only come up with 14 words for Jimmy Ball after he left the club last week. Uh, now then, previously hapless Oldham put that 7-0 spanking at Brentford behind them by claiming the Derby Day spoils against Rochdale at Spotland. Davis Keller done good. He got the only goal of the game here. What a result for them, Sam, your old mob. Previously beleaguered, hadn't scored in the last four games, only a point from safety all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, a brilliant response to the, the Brentford de- defeat, but I thought they were they were relatively good. I think it was nil-nil against Hartlepool the, the previous weekend and they got some plaudit, certainly defensively, for that performance. So, having conceded in two, uh, there's a lad, McGahey, who was at Scunthorpe uh, previously. He's not been able to play until... This weekend, up against Beasley, who's been, you know, kind of Rochdale's talisman so far this season, kept him awfully quiet, him and Pier Gianni. So I think they get enormous credit defensively. And I just thought they, we know Rochdale are a good side. I just felt that old and bullied them really in this game. Rochdale a little bit pedestrian. And as you say, Matt, uh, Keeler done full of goals last year. Um, that's his first of this campaign and it, it got a hell of a roar, didn't it? Local derby. You would think that the Oldham fans are feeling a lot better about life, certainly about the team, maybe not about the the, the all-round picture. But yeah, this is one of the games that they'll be desperate to win and um, been a pretty good week for them, that Brentford hiding aside. Yeah, my son went to this game, my eldest son, Crawford. Uh, he's up at uni in Liverpool and he just loves to go to a game. <laughs> he loves to go to different grounds and he, he got himself a ticket for this one. So I've got my own scouting report from him. It's it, it's brief. It's not it's not in depth, but yeah, not a very exciting game. Rochdale, unlucky, hit the woodwork a few times, but Oldham just about... Deserved it. He said that, yeah, Bahambula was, was quite exciting, probably the best, most exciting player on the show. Great goal. And, and to be honest, he said the most interesting thing about the match was the Oldham fans. He said they were unbelievable. Um, 1,500 of them in the ground. And it was just phenomenal support. And obviously, Oldham fans have, have been given a, a hard time, a, ba- a bad rep 
from the ownership who clearly don't not getting on with their own fans at the moment. Um, but they did the team and the manager proud, I think, with with their support for them in this game. Good stuff. Tell them to add another 5,000 words and we'll stick that up on The Athletic. Um, <laughs> David, you, Rochdale twice hit the woodwork here, previously unbeaten in six. You spent some time there at the end of last season. What have you made of their their start to life back in League Two? Because it's been going pretty well under, under Robbie Stockdale. Yeah, I think, you know, be, before sort of um, Ryan Barry Murphy had left, I was, I was pretty confident that they would, uh, they would make a good fist to come back up in the League One. Um, you know they'd managed to keep majority of the the players there, and uh, that they wanted to that were out the contract. Obviously, BBM's really like a, you know, he plays some really good football. He's a really brave manager, and and I know that he got a lot of stick, you know, uh, from the fans when they were they were going that long run without a win. But I have to say, in the, in the time I was there, I mean, they, they it must be the last 13, 14 games. They won six, six, seven games. And they, they were playing some really good stuff. And and like I said, I was I was going into the season with a lot of promise. And then obviously Brian's went to Manchester City in the 23s and, and and Robbie's come in. And then I didn't think there would have to be the need for so much change when you know you look at the team sheet there, it was probably four regulars from last season started that game on Saturday. Uh, and Jake Beasley being one of them who, who I think is just a, a not only is a great lad, but he's he's a he's a great striker. He's he's his running is just um, selfless. Uh, you know, he runs himself at the ground, and not only that, he, he's he's very good at uh, at, at getting in a good position to hold the ball, to link up, and then to uh, and to bring other players into it. But I, th- I think it's um, I think it's probably his, a little for me. It's a little disappointing because I thought, like like I said, with the, with the players that they had, and they, they could have kept together. That I thought they would have been a little bit better than what they were at the moment. But losing losing players like Ollie Rathbone, I think Ollie's a tremendous player. Going to Rotherham, um, losing him to Rotherham, I thought that was a big loss for them as well. You know, lose a few goals from him there. But um, you know, Robbie's he's a he's a coach who deserves his chance now at management. Uh, you know, he, he, still a lot of people who's here at Sunderland who speak very highly of his, of his time here as as manager, first team coach, and um, I think he's proved he's he's proved his worth as an assistant manager, and, and now it's it's. You know, it's time for him to to make the job he's on and and to prove how good a coach he is. Right, last stop for us, Gander Green Lane. Sutton United recorded their biggest ever EFL win with a four nil thumping of Carlisle. Three straight home wins for Sutton now, Sam. It would appear that they found their feet in League Two. Yeah, definitely. Um, doesn't sound that this result flattered them either. Carlisle had a, a little bit of a spell, but no, I think there's nothing too complex about the way that they set up. I think two very good wide boys, Adjiboy again scoring. They are concerned that he may he may already be getting admiring glances from other clubs. Baldwin on the other side's obviously a, a player that's played certainly League Two, I would imagine higher uh, before in his career. And um another new hero in in Ali Smith who got the two goals. He's keeping out Harry Butiman who, you know, people would have thought with them coming into the EFL would have been one of their their first names on the team sheet. So that just shows you how well Smith's playing and two really good composed finishes as well. So yeah, brilliant result. Um they'll be they'll be thinking, dreaming of the uh the shock factor pushing them all, all the way to the playoffs. But of course just remaining in the division has to be the first target. But it's been an exceptional start for them. 
Staying in the division might be the first target for Carlisle at this rate, Clark. It's, it's an awful long way to go to lose 4-0 and get a man sent off. And here they are. What are we, nine games into the season? They've only won two of them. Yeah, not great at all. Um, Chris Beach coming under massive pressure. Fans uh, have turned a little bit on him and it's not easy, is it, to come back when a section, at least, of, of the fan base want them to make a change. Obviously, they can't seem to keep a clean sheet. Four goals in this game, two in the previous one against Scunthorpe, who really aren't very good. Two conceded against Crawley, uh, conceded against Salford, two again at Hartlepool. So, yeah, not 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 brilliant at all for, from that point of view. Um, yeah, I think with Sutton, it's one of those grounds. It's it's a bit like playing a non-league team. They sort of almost still feel like a non-league club operating in the EFL. It's one of those where if you go there and you don't fancy it, or one or two players don't fancy it, then you'll get your comeuppance. And uh, and it looks like that's what happened here. Completely agree with Sam on Adji Boy. He looks he looked really good. Um, certainly a player to to keep an eye on moving forwards. But yeah, Chris Beach. Needs a result in the next game or two, otherwise I, c- I could see a change there. All right, we're nearly done for today. Before we end, though, we've got time for a game. David's in charge here. Uh, basically, what happened is like Adrian two weeks ago, we came up with a name and then worked backwards from there. So forgive us if there's a few a few teething issues with the format, but we'll give it a will. It's called The Priest is Right. Right, David, in front of you, you've got six statements about the EFL. All Adrian, Sam and I have to do is say if the priest is right or the priest is wrong. This is effectively true or false. Uh, two each, we'll see who gets the most right. Uh, you can direct your first question, David, to Adrian. So, the first president of the English Football League was actually Scottish. Is the priest right or is the priest wrong? I think the priest is right. The answer is... The priest is right. Yay! Yes! One nil, very good. <laughs> Do I have to run down to the front now, all excitedly? <laughs> yeah. Here's one for you that, Matt. Okay. Neil Warnock's first managerial job was at Burton Albion. I've got a feeling that the priest is right again. Ooh, the priest is wrong. Scarborough. No. Not Scarborough. Town. Gainsborough Trinity. The sap- the sub is wrong. Yes, it's <laughs> it's Gainsborough Trinity, yeah. All right. Clark is one nil at them. Come on then, Sam. This one's for you. The EFL is older than Tess of the Durbervilles. I have no idea what you just said, but the pri- the priest is wrong. Oh, the priest is right. <laughs> <laughs> right. EFL was founded in 1888 and Tess was 1891. Okay, so Clark, you, you, can, you can win it then if you get this one right. Yeah, Told you there'd be format issues. <laughs> Here we go then, Clotty. Preston's mascot is called Doherty Duck after Tommy Doherty, their record appearance holder. <laughs> Just trying to think. Whether I've, I have been to Preston the last few years. It, it doesn't sound right. I, th- I, th- I think here the priest is wrong. Oh, the priest is wrong, you're right. Oh. Yes, it, it, apparently it's called Deep Deal Duck and Dockerty isn't their record appearance holder anyway, so... Ah, yeah. It's obvious, really. Doubly wrong. All right, we just play for pride for the last two questions, then. Yeah, here we go. There are three mascots called Billy in the EFL. 
Okay, uh, so Billy the Bee has just left us. Uh, he's not dead, he, Brentford have been promoted. Um, <laughs> uh, just stalling for time, I'm going to say that the priest is right. Yes, the priest is very right. It's um, Badger, Brewer and Bantam are the three mascots in the AFL, apparently. Uh, okay, so that is Bradford, Burton and who's the Badger? Fulham. Right, okay. Weird. Really? <laughs> the, 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 pre, the priest did know that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm loving this third person. Uh, you know, I'm enjoying. It. I feel freer now. You know, you can see the shackles have come off me now. Every time that you address the players, you just have to say the priest is from now on. You just, that's the prefix for your team talks. Oh, they, they, do, they don't argue with me anyway. <laughs> so this one's for Sam. Bull Brummy Bulldog was the last winner of the mascot Grand National. Oh, I remember they used to do... Was it League Cup Final or Charity Shield or something they used to do this? I seem to remember it. Bulldog sounds like he could be quick, decent turn of pace. The Priest is therefore right. Oh, the Priest is oh. right, Sam. It was Shucks. actually Barry Barrett, the Barrett home safety mascot. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be your other answer, wasn't it, as well? It's annoying. <laughs> uh, right, so Clarky, you won that. I, I got the silver medal and Sam 0 for 2, so homework to do on uh, Tessa If nothing else, uh, be interested to get your breakdown of that book on next week's pod. Uh, that'll do it for today, though. David, thanks so much for, for coming back and taking some time out of the day job to talk to us. Th- thanks for having me on and, and Matt anytime you want me to do any quiz shows I am available <laughs> the priest is available I, en- I enjoy I en- yes the priest is available I, I enjoyed that far too much you know. uh, Clarky Betty thanks we'll speak to you again soon cheers mate and you Sam au revoir uh, thanks to Abby as well mainly to you listener for tuning in join us again on Thursday when we'll look back on some of the midweek games and ahead to the weekend's action from all of us here though For now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.